Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to episode 42 of the Clutchdown Podcast. You're back with Reese N. Nope, you're just back with Reese this week. I'd love to say it was some sort of dramatic breakup between me and Gavin, but it wasn't. He had to shoot a wedding in Antigua uh, for a few days last week, had a long flight there and back, and so bless his little cotton socks, he's just a bit jet-lagged at the moment. So for this week, you just get a nice... Less digressed episode with me, so unfortunately the the level of witty banter won't be quite the same. We're uh, missing missing Gavin and his comedic value and loveliness that he adds to the podcast. But this week will be, will be a bit more of a, a paint by numbers, straight NFL news, and then chatting as we mentioned last week about the five worst draft glasses that that I believe uh, occurred this season uh, in the twenty twenty three draft after we spoke about the the top five last week. So I think before we before we dive into that. I'm doing well. I'll ask myself, since I usually ask Gavin, I'm doing very well. Off to Scotland for a couple of days. Uh, a few hours after I've edited this podcast for some work. So, you know, a bit sunnier in the UK now. All that fun stuff because British people love talking about the weather. So let's go off that note. But yeah, kicking it off with some news. Some very wholesome news, actually. So Foster Moreau, the tight end, previous tight end for the Raiders, signed a three-year deal with the New Orleans Saints. So this is important because a couple of months back, he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, so a form of cancer, during a routine physical with the Saints when he had a visit with the Saints. Um, and they looked like he was going to be taking some time away from his football to basically get healthy and, and beat it. But it looks like the news over the last couple of days after signing is that he could potentially be able to participate in OTAs for the, the Saints. So, yeah, incredible news. And, you know, wish him all the best on his recovery. Obviously, so far, it's looking quite positive and looking forward to hopefully seeing week one uh, back in a, a jersey in the NFL, catching passes from his, his long-term quarterback, Derek Carr, will be on the Saints. So, yeah, that'll be good. Good to see week one. And then I think probably the biggest news in terms of NFL UK or NFL Europe in the last week, which I'll dive a bit more into with Gavin next week and we'll chat a bit more about the matchups because hopefully we'll be shooting at every single one of these games and there's some some good marquee matchups. So the London games, the three London games are announced for later in the, the NFL season in October. And then the two games that are happening in Germany were also announced. So we had the first game, which is going to be at Wembley, and that's a home game for the Jags, which is the Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Atlanta Falcons. So a pretty fun matchup of two quite young teams. And then we go into week two, which is going to be at Tottenham. And that's actually an away game for the Jags. So the Jags are staying and playing two games in London this year and they play the Bills. Probably not something we would have thought of been a quite a marquee matchup a couple of years ago, but you've got two playoff teams coming in and could be actually a really, really good slug contest between the both of them. Trevor Lawrence coming back. Uh, wants to avenge his loss from last year after getting his first ever win in the NFL the year before against the Dolphins. So you've got a solid game with the Bills versus Jags there. And then week three at Tottenham, the final London game is the Titans versus now the Lamar Jackson Ravens as he re-signed a few weeks back on the, the day, the first day of the draft. So that's looking good. And as I said, we'll dive a bit more into these games and chat about the matchups and what we're looking forward to um, because it's more of a guarantee that we shoot and film and Gavin uh, does photography at the three London games. Frank for the other two games isn't necessarily a, a done deal, but you've got two very, very good matchups there, two very good AFC matchups in the Patriots versus the Colts. So it'll be the start of Anthony Richardson, Anthony Richardson versus potentially Mac Jones if he can pick things up later in the season. And then you've got 
A possible AFC Championship preview. A fantastic, incredible matchup. It was an incredible matchup the first time that Tua played Patrick Mahomes a couple of years back. So you've got the Chiefs versus the Dolphins. Probably the one that out of the Germany games I'm the most excited for to watch as a fan and potentially work uh, as well because, yeah... Two top-tier offenses, two top-tier defenses. You've got all the pieces there. The Dolphins looking like they're, if Tua can stay healthy, they can make a run this year. So you're looking at some some fantastic games and, you know, very, very good games to see on the, the European side that, that we're getting some, some really good games coming over. And obviously the Chiefs was playing in Germany. You kind of felt like the worst-kept secret uh, before it was announced a few months back as literally the day after the last German game, which was Bucks versus Seahawks, it had there was billboards up in Germany saying they're looking forward to welcoming the Chiefs the next year. So probably the worst kept secret. However, a fantastic matchup to work with. All right, so after chatting about a bit of news, I think it's probably good to jump straight into talking about the, what I think were the five worst draft classes of the 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 2023 NFL draft. Uh, the thing is with these, it's like, as I said, we're talking about the best. It's not necessarily all about teams filling needs. It's more about kind of teams and what value they got at the picks that they chose at and also taking into account what they needed and so on. It's kind of a big combination of them all. That's why certain teams could have got fantastic players but wouldn't necessarily have got the the value that they could have got there at the position they chose at. So some teams like the Seahawks, for example, didn't necessarily address their, their top needs but they got two of the top players and probably the best players available where they picked, which is why they got the top five whereas you've got a team here so starting at number five a good little segue into that which is i had the fifth worst draft class was the lions so going into the draft i kind of had the the lions need to look at addressing d lineman cornerback and then tight end d line and cornerback especially because they were awful against the run and awful against the pass last year and it felt like their offense was clicking on all cylinders every game but their defense just couldn't get it done and that's why they got off to such a horrific start and then had to turn claw it back towards the end of the season and had a winning season, but just didn't have the the the, the games that didn't have the record throughout the season to actually win and go to the playoffs. And the thing is as well with the Lions draft class is I never really understand going so high on a running back considering the depth and starting value that you can get later in the round. So they went very high with their first pick on Jameer Gibbs, who was arguably the second best running back in the, in the draft class behind BJ and Robinson. And I get it. You get your starter, you get a sort of player, but also the amount of depth you can get and sort of players you can get. Look at Isaiah Pacheco going in the seventh round last year and then being an absolute monster for the Chiefs. Look at the last few years, Philip Lindsay, James Robinson going undrafted and then making making waves and having thousand yard seasons alvin carreri went in the third like it's it's just i don't understand when you're in a, such a good position you've got such good draft capital going for a running back that early on even second round i, I wouldn't be mad at second round i can understand because you're still getting a, a very solid player who's going to help your team but you're not giving up that much draft capital to get them and i just feel like where they chose gibbs and what they did in in that round, they could have chosen someone like Christian Gonzalez and really been a top player to help their bad pass defense. And as much as it feels a bit more like a paint-by-numbers, okay, this is the problem, let's solve it. Sometimes it feels like that's the best thing. Okay, you might have technically got the next best player available in Jamal Gibbs, but he's a running back. And because of the value of where you can get other players, I just didn't really like to pick that early on. And then again, they got linebacker help with Jack Campbell at 18, so they did need help there but I just again think they could have addressed this later on and could have got a better player then they could have again 
at that point addressed D tackle, got a top D tackle. Uh, Kalia Kansi was still on the board when they had their second pick, and this would have just been so much better for them to work with. Then you address the cornerback need, get a brilliant young guy in to go along with the veteran free agency signed. You get a fantastic D lineman to come in and help stop that run, who has the potential and upside to be like Aaron Donald, has the same kind of metrics to work with. So that's great. I do, I did like not, not to just sort of launch all over the Lions but I did like the pick of Sam Laporte at the tight end in the second round I think there was no true starter at tight end after they traded TJ Hawkinson they get a true starter here so I think that's great but just from the rest point of view if they'd have taken the ethos of drafting the tight end when they didn't get in that help there and applied it to the first two picks that they have they could have just got such a more helped their team in such a better way and they went for you know more of a raw talent with Jack Campbell with their second pick running back with their first pick and I just don't feel like they really addressed their needs fully when they could have gone into the next season in such a strong place if they'd have done that and I think part of the reason that I've put them here is also because of you know where they finished last season and you look at it and go oh a couple of games go their way differently they could have potentially been the top seed or they could have potentially won their division I think that's the problem when you're looking at those small metrics of what they could have done slightly differently and then they sort of go quite far afield and don't necessarily address the needs that they could have had and, and could have done in this draft that's why I kind of put them here I didn't think they had the best draft now moving on to pick four it's weird actually that Four out of five of these teams were playoff teams for last season. It just shows why the NFL is a position where teams can change so quickly. And you can have teams that weren't so good the season before have incredible drafts like the Bengals did a few years ago with Joe Burrow and then be fantastic the next season. So at four, I've got the LA Chargers. So I think going into this draft, their needs really were wide receiver, tight end, edge, safety, and quarterback. Nice pieces across all of that Chargers roster, but not really a lot of consistency, a lot of injuries there. So I think they had a nice pick in the first round with receiver Quentin Johnson. Obviously, you've got Mike Williams on the roster and Keaton Allen. They're both aging. They both seem to be injured a lot. So as much as they're top receivers when they're on the field, you can't necessarily rely them on them to be on the field at all times, which is a bit of a frustration. And when you've got Justin Herbert, who's potentially going to be looking at signing an extension and reworking his deal next year, you want to give him the weapons that he needs rather than having to sort of dump off to Austin Eckler almost on every play and him have about 12, 13 receptions every single time. Yeah, so in the second round, I liked the the edge help they got in Tuli Tupelotu. Sorry if I've completely butchered that. But yeah, they got a, a good pick here in round two. You've got injuries that have occurred on that that pass rush with Mac and with um, Joe Bosa. And with an aging Mac now as well, he's, he's sort of getting into his 30s. Hopefully this means they can get a bit more of a consistent pass rush here. I think one of the issues and one of the sort of top reasons why I had such an issue with the Chargers draft is because the two positions I felt that they really needed to address were cornerback and running back. They didn't address running back, and there's a lot of uncertainty around Austin Eckler, who for the predominant part of the last couple of seasons has basically been the biggest part of their offense, and it doesn't look like he's happy. It doesn't look like the two sides are potentially going to work out a deal. So with that in mind, I just feel like they could have gone for a, not necessarily a running back early on, but they could have at least addressed running back at some point during the draft or in the second round or the third round and, you know, got that wide receiver, picked Quentin Johnson with their first pick, but then gone for a running back at the second round. And I think this is where the kind of contrast to what the Lions did in terms of where you pick a running back, that's where it can have such value because you can 
kind of look at the situation and find what you need. And I think it would have put some more pressure on, you know, moving Eckler or, or getting um, some draft capital back for Eckler if they'd picked a running back here, but they didn't. And it's interesting, though, because Austin Eckler was an undrafted guy. So as much as you I have the problem with the Chargers for not addressing running back, I do sort of see where they're coming from in terms of maybe with undrafted free agents or whatnot, that that's how they want to address it. But I think just the problem here, it, just, it didn't feel like they kind of acknowledged how much of a big presence he is and how much they need to kind of fight and not necessarily the top running back in the draft to replace him if he does go, but find someone with a similar skill set, someone who can catch passes at the backfield and run those hard yards uh, there. And they, I don't feel like it really was a situation where they they sorted that out. And the other thing is obviously from cornerback. So JC Jackson is recovering from the injury he did to his patella last year. Um, and you don't know how he's going to come back. You don't know if he's going to come back and play at the same level. You don't know if the injury is going to hinder him for a while. And so I feel like they needed help at cornerback. It might be a bit harsh to put the charges here, actually, now that I'm kind of reading back. Uh, you know, I don't think they were necessarily the worst draft. I like the first two picks that they did. But for me, the kind of main reason why they're here is just because it wasn't a complete draft. I feel like they could have done better in terms of addressing their needs and like I say even if you don't go with a running back in the second or third round pick one in the later rounds or at least try to do something so that you've got something to work on for the offseason if Austin Eckler doesn't actually re-sign. Like I even would have liked them to take a punt on a running back in the seventh round, but they picked a backup quarterback in Max Duggan. It just feels like they could have utilized a few of their picks a lot better. When they did utilize their picks in the first and second round, it was great. But then for the rest of the draft, it just felt like they were kind of just picking randomly and they weren't really addressing their needs. They weren't really picking guys that kind of worked within the system of them. And that's why I think it wasn't complete. And I think the the kind of Max Duggan pick of the seventh round was a big part of that as well because it just felt like a bit of a, oh yeah, let's just take a punt on a guy here. When they could have actually gone, okay, there's still value to get from a running back perspective in the sixth and seventh round. So let's do that. Even if you look at it from a cornerback perspective, you can still get a lot of value at cornerback in the later rounds as well. Look at Tariq Woolen, fifth round pick from last year, bona fide starter in Seattle. And so I just feel like with the later rounds, the, the Chargers could have done a lot more and they didn't do what I thought they would have done. It's a great first couple of picks, but then it just kind of fell apart after that. Moving on to what is the third worst draft class of this year. It's the Jaguars. So yeah, another playoff team from last season. They really going into the draft needed cornerback, edge, tight end, and O-line. They dressed O-line with Anton Harrison in the first round. So good future protection for Trevor Lawrence going forward. So I did like that. Yeah, Brenton Strange in the second round felt like a bit of a reach, especially with them mainly needing depth at tight end after it. You know, Evan Ingram, they potentially might sign his franchise tag off their franchise tag and we started to really put things together in the second half of the last season so I just feel like they could have addressed the depth issue at tight end later in the draft rather than so high up and I feel like Engram is a really good fit on that team and is a good uh, complement to all the wide receivers they've got there so it just felt like it was a bit of a reach running back in the third round felt strange to say with Travis, Travis Etienne atop the depth chart and being that dynamic player and the depth that they've actually got especially with their other needs. It just felt like going for a running back of the third round, again, wasn't addressing their biggest needs. And uh, what I've been saying is a through note for all of here in terms of running backs is they could have got a lot more value at running back later on in the draft. One of the issues was the fact that last year they were 
the team defense that had the 28th most pass yards allowed and the 25th least sacks. So not addressing corner or edge rusher till past the fourth round doesn't make sense. You know, I get it. They've got Trayvon Walker in there and, you know, they've got Josh Allen as a pass rusher. But if you're not getting it done, then get some more help on that D-line. Do a Bucks from a few seasons ago when they won the Super Bowl. Do an Eagles from last season where you've just got pass rusher after pass rusher just going in and staying healthy and just launching after the quarterback on every single gameplay. There's really no, no downside to it. Yeah, so it didn't really make sense not addressing this until past the fourth round so again some nice picks just from a situation where a team could have gone from being a playoff team to really sorting themselves out and making that push the season after it just felt like it was incomplete similar to the Chargers but from a less complicated perspective they just didn't address the needs fully like they should have done okay so let's move on to to last couple of teams so at two I've got the Dolphins so going into the draft I felt like tight end guard D tackle and running back were their sort of biggest needs um at tight end they obviously let Mike Gesicki walk and go to the Patriots so there's a big big gap there in that explosive offense where they're good at receiver but at running back and tight end they aren't necessarily in the best place so with their first pick they went cornerback and that was with their first pick of the second round they didn't have a first round pick because in you've got Jaden Ramsey and uh, Xavier Howard there as starters it just feels like a sort of big pick of a player where they could have got something else you could have had that that trust in your third cornerback when you've got two bona fide quarterback ones on the team and so I just felt like it might have been more worthwhile to get depth there later on I really like the pick of Devin a chain at running back of the third you know his speed fits perfectly with the identity of Miami and you know currently with their their depth chart of Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson the, the previous running backs on San Francisco they get a kind of younger guy who can come in there and possibly be that that bell cow back and you know even if he's just in that rotation you get a younger more explosive guy to work in with with a couple of guys who are still fantastic players but are just getting on a bit now they addressed a tight end with Elijah Higgins in the sixth but I think the problem is here he's more of a wide receiver converted to a tight end so he's more of a project rather than a direct replacement for Mike Gesicki and with a, a team that thinks they're in win now mode and could make the Super Bowl and wants to make that push it just felt like going for a project player over a direct replacement and going not going high on a, a tight end at a draft where a lot of tight ends got drafted quite early on it just felt a bit strange and you know, if it plays out, it might be a similar situation to Darren Waller, where it's a guy that makes the transition from wide receiver to tight end, and it all works out, and it's very good at all that. But I just feel like in a situation where you're you're trying to win now and try to be that top team, it's strange to go for just a a project more projected tight end and not get that that big help for Tua when you could have got it in a a top guy here. And when you look at the AFC and the the top team and top tight end in terms of. Travis Kelsey you want that safety net for your guy if if teams are doing their best to throw whatever they can and throw the kinship sink at Waddle and Hill every single game then having that tight end who can get open and be that that strong receiver and that strong safety net to go with for Tua I just feel like would have been a better option than going for a project like quite later in the later in the draft so this brings us on to our final team so I think this is the team that had the worst draft class in the 2023 NFL draft and that would be the Broncos so going into the draft the Broncos really needed is cornerback o-line d-line and running back and their first pick was a wide receiver this felt quite strange because they went quite high on someone after they retained Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy through free agency. So again, it's just not really addressing their their needs at all. They didn't address defensive back until round three, and then they didn't address O-line until round seven. So it just felt like they weren't really 
picking in terms of what they actually needed as a team. And that's been the, you know, the through note through this whole situation and talking about these teams. But I think the problem is that the the Broncos just had the most wildest draft out of everyone. So let's say they went for a wide receiver in the second. They went for a linebacker in the third, cornerback then in the third, then safety in the sixth, and then a center in the seventh. So it's just a just sort of weird concoction of, of players that are good in their own right, but just don't necessarily feel like the right fit on the Broncos. They also didn't get any help at running back despite Javante Williams coming back from an ACL tear and no real, not going high on any protection for Russell Wilson, considering that was a big issue of why he didn't play at the level that everyone expected him to play last year. They expected him in, you know, further into his 30s to be running about away from the uh, O-line and making those big plays. And it just looks like he might not be able to do that anymore. So you've put such an investment into a player, traded the picks, paid the contract, done all that. And then you just don't put the things around him to protect him. And I just don't quite understand why you do that as a team. And yeah, as I said, with wide receiver, a top wide receiver, you're going with your top pick. And it's just like, I'd understand if Sutton moved on or Judy moved on through free agency, but they didn't. So you've got two top wide receivers in their own right. So yeah, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. I think that's the the through note with all these teams is the, the picks are good for the players that they've got but they just don't make sense in terms of what they need for the teams. And when you look at the Broncos getting Sean Payton and going, okay, we want to bring ourselves back to that Super Bowl winning team and be that top team and all that, and we want to protect our quarterback, and they're just not doing that. And it's just kind of going into the next season in the the same mindset. I, you know, it might be a case of they finish off next season and go, right, okay, now we've had Sean Payton for a year. We see what the issues are. We see we've now we've got a good coach where actually the problems lie. And then next year becomes their time to shine and the Broncos jump to the top of the best list next year. But for now they're just right at the bottom unfortunately and I think the Broncos will be another disappointing team going into next season it'd be interesting to see kind of what happens with the the Lions the Chargers the Jags and the Dolphins obviously four playoff teams from last year but it'll be interesting to see if the the kind of issues they've had in the the draft have, and you know not addressing necessarily what they should have addressed it if that really does plague them if the Lions go into next season and then they've got this fantastic offense but still struggle on defense then it kind of feels like well you're doomed to make the same mistakes because you're not filling the needs that you need to fill or they might go into this and go actually the linebacker helper Jack Campbell in the middle was the the big help on the defense that helped that defense throw on the back end with the safeties of the quarterback so then it helps them a lot or he helps the run game but you know it's always hard to predict and this is based off the current situation of teams so it might be a case of that the, these teams turn out to be flipped and these are actually the best draft classes and you know there's Hall of Famers at every single position they picked and the Chargers pick up a solid other undrafted running back who then becomes their top guy and Austin Eckler walks to another team or Austin Eckler walks and then goes to the Broncos and that's actually why they didn't uh, draft the player so high uh, to go with Javante Williams but I can only kind of look at it from this degree and I think from a when you look at the top five teams and what they did and how they addressed their needs and got such good value as well it just feels like these teams are kind of picking without that in mind and weren't necessarily getting either the next player available or were getting the best player to address their needs and so that's why I've I've put them in this order so it'll be interesting to see what happens with them going forward I know obviously from a guard issue with the Dolphins post-draft they've addressed it by signing Isaiah Wynn the previous uh, Bucks um, guard to a one-year deal so you get some help there so through the through the offseason we're bound to kind of return back to this and talk about themes of what they've done to not fix this in the draft but fix this with free agents or fix this for trades going forward and you know i think as the the offseason develops and teams uh, such as the chargers 
uh, whether you get some more clarity on what they've done with Ostadekla, whether you get some more clarity on the injuries such as Javante Williams, whether you get some more clarity on Elijah Higgins, who is a very interesting prospect for the Dolphins in terms of moving from wide receiver to tight end. He could really be a impressive player if he can make that switch and if he can do what he needs to do for for Miami but yeah we, only time will tell they've got to play Mike Kosicki twice a year so it might be a, a bit of a uh, a wake-up call for them if it doesn't work at tight end but we shall see so I think before we move on to music it might actually be quite nice to give an honorable mention from one of the top teams and an honorable mention from one of the the worst teams what I'd say so it was hard to, to make this list because obviously you've got 32 teams in the NFL and you're trying to pick five good and five bad. It's not always as black and white as that. So there was a couple of teams that didn't make the cut for either, but I think kind of should have done. So my honorable mention for one of the top teams uh, from the draft this year was the Texans. So the Texans needed quarterback, wide receiver, edge, and also depth on O-line. So obviously got CJ Stroud with the second pick. Traded up and got their edge rusher with Will Anderson. Receiver, currently the issue is that Nico Collins is the top of their depth chart. But they brought in receiver Tank Dell, who actually CJ Stroud wanted them to go and get. So they get their explosive 5 for 8 threat, kind of similar to Zay Flowers. And then they got their bigger bodied receiver, Xavier Hutchinson, the 6th. So 6 for 3 guy. So they got a nice safety net there and a nice safety net at Dalton Schultz, who they signed in the offseason. And then when they got to the second round, they got some center competition as well and a nice guy that could play on the O-line. So we did feel like, as much as I don't think they were top five, I think you could probably throw them in at six as one of the top teams and what they did. And, you know, I, I thought CJ Stroud would go first overall, to be honest. So for them to get who I thought was probably the top pr prospect because of the height difference between him and Bryce Young. So for them to get that at the second pick and then trade up and, and the Cardinals trading back and then they get their edge rusher, they just addressed two of the, the biggest need. They struggled, apart from JJ Watt last season, they struggled in second the quarterback. And so you bring in a guy who can sack the quarterback back extremely well so i think you know the thing that didn't push them into the top was the fact that you know you can't address everything so easily in a draft it's not as simple as addressing every single need uh some teams are very good at that or get closer to that but it's impossible to do it from you know, in a, in a black and white way. And so I think the only reason that didn't push him into the top five was the fact that they didn't get that top receiver and you've got a young quarterback coming in. And I think getting a, a top receiver like the the Panthers did where they got Jonathan Mingo and then, you know, the free agents they signed in the offseason with DJ Chark and then Adam Thielen, I think you kind of put him in a better situation. And so I think that the only thing they didn't put the Texans into that that top five was just the fact that they, they didn't get those receivers to, to help with their very young quarterback coming in. But now moving on to one of the honorable mentions for one of the, the worst teams. I think I've got quite an interesting take here on this team. And so that's the Commanders. So going into the draft, I think the Commanders really needed quarterback, O-line, quarterback, and tight end. They dressed cornerback in the first round with Emmanuel Forbes. Don't be wrong, incredible playmaker, but he needs to put on a lot of weight to play at the NFL level. And I think that where they picked him, they could have picked a another top cornerback who's a bit more NFL ready. Um, and so it's just one of those things where you're taking a bit more of a punt on a player's skill set and, and hoping they can still play at that level when they put on that weight and hoping they can put on that weight and play at that level. And I think then the issue after that is they then again went with defensive back in the second round, which didn't feel right to go kind of defensive back, then defensive back with the hard the holes that they have on their roster. They addressed O-line in the third round of the fourth round with Ricky Stromberg and Braden Daniels, but I thought they could have just brought in some quarterback competition for Sam Howell, as there's limited tape on him, despite the fact he had that one fantastic game last season. Like, they're, they're really kind of going all in on Sam Howell, and it's like, fair play, okay, you give him the confidence and all that, but there also isn't a lot of tape on him. 
and it could crash and burn. If they crash and burn, they're just knocking the primes out of more of their their players on that Washington team, which is actually quite close to being a very, very good team. Um, I think that's the issue. They didn't get any quarterback competition for Sam Howell, and they they should have done to to at least you know keep him honest and not get complacent. And not saying he will, but he could potentially get complacent, know the jobs his, and then not be performing as where he wants to perform, where the team wanted to perform. So. Yeah, I definitely think they could have, could have got some better picks here. And my kind of top reason of why I think that they didn't, they, they were one of the worst worst teams is because, so you bring in Eric Bieniemy, previous offensive coordinator for the Chiefs. Who did Eric Bieniemy always have in that Chiefs offense? Incredible all-pro player, Hall of Famer, and that's Travis Kelsey. So across his Hall of Fame career, you've had Eric Bieniemy. I just think it would have made sense to take a punt on a tight end somewhere with that second round pick, instead of going defensive back again, you know, go for one of the top tight ends and then see if you can get Eric Bieniemy to unlock him. And suddenly you might go, oh, wow, this, this offense runs through this tight end and this is incredible. And then puts them in a better position. And then for Sam Howe, you go, okay, Sam Howe is our guy. Let's give him a top tight end. Let's try and play this offense like we did at the Chiefs. And let's try and do that. And then suddenly you're in a really, really good situation. Whereas it just felt like they... I've kind of wasted that initial initial thing with Eric Bieniemy by not picking that and not giving him the tools that he could potentially need and unlock going into the season. I think yeah, if you don't get the quarterback competition for Sam Howell, get him some more help. But it just didn't feel like they really did that. It didn't feel like the most logical draft that it felt like they could have got better players in terms of fit for their team and better value at the picks that they chose. So yeah, I think that's probably a good enough Good enough analysis, if I do say so myself, of the NFL draft. It's nice to to chat about and, and kind of figure out what teams have done. And it's nice to put a sort of earmark on the current situation with teams and what they've done so that we can kind of acknowledge that going forward into the season and look at what they do and see, oh, actually, I was I was bang off. The Commanders just won the Super Bowl and they had a undrafted tight end who was the best player in the league. Like, you never know. The NFL is unpredictable and that's what's so fun about talking about it. So before we wrap this up, I think it's good to chat about a little music. Gavin isn't here. He's probably in the corner somewhere. And the reason I'm saying that is because he's probably been listening to R.E.M. or Greta Van Fleet. Those are generally the, the two bands he's kind of reeled off the for, for quite a while. I know how much he loves R.E.M. And I think if I could play a game of bingo, it would be writing the words automatic for the people on a bingo sheet and seeing how many times he says it in our friendship. So yeah, that's probably Gavin. For me, in terms of music, I've actually been listening to Nothing But Thieves' latest song, Overcome. So it's just, I can't quite figure out what the inspiration is and what it sounds like. I hate to keep saying every single time that I discover a new song, it's very 80s sounding. Because it's I feel like I'm typecasting myself as this like mullet-ridden, keyboard-playing podcaster. But that's not the case. That's not the case. It's just a very good song in its own, own right. And there seems to be quite a few influences in there from the 80s and rock music and that kind of classic Nothing But Thieves sound. They also released a song called Welcome to the DCC recently, which is fantastic and a bit more bit more clubby. And this is all leading to them playing in the UK in November and also them having a new album coming out at the start of July. So yeah, a couple of couple of banging songs and Overcome and Welcome to the DCC and uh, looking forward to what they they bring out later on in the year and looking forward to that that album. It can't come can't come soon enough because I've missed uh, the last Nothing But Thieves album that came out was during COVID, and so less happy memories uh, consistent with that one then uh currently so yeah looking forward to that okay thank you for joining me for this episode
episode, beautiful people. I know it's pretty weird listening to it without the uh, gibberish back and forth between me and Gavin that's usually there. So it was a bit more straight down the line analysis mode episode, which, you know, sometimes it's good to have. And sometimes it's good for me to just nerd out for an episode. But, you know, with me and Gavin both being freelance um, and uh, having the, the weirdest work schedules in the world, they don't always marry up. I say, for example, he gets back from Antigua and then I'm straight off to Scotland. So it's hard to find a time during that period. So we kind of thought, okay, well, I'll smash out a little episode on my own and then we'll uh, do back to normal later this week and do another episode later this week and probably chat a bit more about those London games and maybe relate our experiences from kind of last season, what we're looking forward to, to shooting with the London games and how Germany could be and all that. But yeah, we'll definitely have more fun stuff and chat to come in the off season we're not going to stop in the off season we'll find stuff we will rant for an hour about the shape of tom brady's hands if we must and that is because i care about my listeners so yeah thanks for joining me this time for another episode hope you join us again for the next episode episode 43 follow us on tiktok instagram and twitter at clutchdown and i and gavin will be back for another episode either later this week or next week <laughs>